Okay, again, welcome, and if you have your Bibles, we are in the book of Acts. We are going to finish it this week and next. Today is part one of the final journey, and so if you have your Bibles, please turn to page 936. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 27. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at the uh, in this book, the final journey of the Apostle Paul. And although much of the story of the book of Acts, if you're familiar with this, much of the book of Acts centers around the Apostle Paul, about his life, about his ministry. What was this guy like? What did he do? What were the adventures that he went through? But I think the Apostle Paul would be the first to say to you and me, this book is not about me. It's about the Savior of the church, Christ himself. You know, we don't exactly know, if you read the end of the book of Acts, it ends with Paul in prison, and we don't exactly know what happened to him. He was there for two years. What, what happened to Paul after those two years? Some think he was martyred. Some think he had the opportunity to still be free enough to go out to different parts of the region to preach the gospel. What happened to Paul? How, how will he be remembered? Isn't that an interesting question? How, how will Paul be remembered at the end of his journey? Let's pause for a minute. Isn't that a good question for you and me? How will you be remembered? 20 years from now, 50 years from now, when somebody mentions your name, how will you be remembered? There's a social critic who recently wrote a book about the importance of character in life. And this social critic said some things about the current values and lives of our current generation. Listen to what he said about his concern, particularly in the American culture, about the concerns he has for the current generation. Quote, he says this, I wish this generation would be as concerned about their eulogy as they are about their resume." I wish these people would be more concerned about how will you be remembered than what you have accomplished. We're in a culture that's obsessed with our accomplishments, our successes. He says, why don't you be obsessed about what people are going to be remembering about your character, about who you are. You know, achievements are good and, and they're often of great benefit, but not at the cost of character and integrity. What will be remembered, whether you like it or not, what will be remembered is the kind of person you were, along with the kind of things you accomplished. The Apostle Paul, what did he want to be remembered for? If you read his letters, he had a lot of statements about that. In Romans 14, listen to what Paul says about life and being remembered. He says this, For if we live... We live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That's who I am. Whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. I want people to know that. Friends, the church, the church of Christ, which is what we've been studying the church of Christ will have an impact on this world by the way you and I live in this world. You want to have an impact on the world? 
Let's see how you live in this world as a possession of Almighty God. So let's, let's look at this incident in the life of Paul. This whole chapter, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, this is now the final journey. He's on a ship, a prison ship, that is about to have a, meet, a destructive end. It's a pretty powerful thing. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want to read some highlights. So please follow because I want you to feel like you're on the, the set of this movie that's happening. What was going on in Paul's life in this final journey of his life? We're going to start at verse 13. Uh, but the context is he's on a ship that's about to be crashed into the, into the, the shoreline with some destructive and frightening things happening. Verses 13 through 26 and then 33 through 44. So hear now the word of the Lord. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the, on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet I now urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who shall be with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. And then at verse 33. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, 
They did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay on a beach in which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, at the same time losing the ropes that had tied the rudders, loosening those. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on the planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. This is the Lord, the word of the Lord. Pretty dramatic thing, isn't it? I hope you got a picture of that. It was, wouldn't that make a great TV series or movie? Just think about it. You see this great ship and these guys having a nervous breakdown. We're going to die. We know we're going to die. This wind is, this storm is unbelievable. We're, and you can almost see the winds and the waves and the, all the special effects just coming. Unbelievable. What, what would you remember about this incident? <laughs> a lot of exciting things going on. I want you to remember more about the character of Paul and how he faced life and death in this particular adventure. It's an exciting, well, exciting, it's a threatening, crazy context, but I want our focus, the camera, to be on the Apostle Paul. What was this guy like? How did he handle the impossible. So let's take a closer look at how Paul faced life, not only in this shipwreck episode, but but more how he faced every season of life in this world. Yes, the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about him, he accomplished some incredible things in his ministry. And now he is about to accomplish an incredible thing on the sea. What were the pillars of conviction of the character of Paul that made him able to be stable in the midst of chaos? What was it about Paul? Isn't that kind of crazy? If you put yourself on this ship, would you be doing what Paul did? No, I'd be, I'd be crying. <laughs> Help, somebody. We don't know. We're, we're going to die. The first thing I want us to see by watching Paul, and again, our eyes have to be on Paul and his character. The first thing we're going to see by watching him is to to understand the God that he worshipped. What was it about Paul that made him face this? I think it was the God that he worshipped. What do we understand about the God that he worshipped? There are a number of things, but I think a foundational trait of the God of Paul that Paul believed in, his God was sovereign. The God that Paul worshipped was sovereign. What does that mean? That means basically that God is in control of everything. Let me say that again. He believed that God is sovereign. That means there is no small detail out of his control. God controls everything. Whether we understand it or not. Paul could not look back, Paul could look back on his life rather, and he could see how the Lord was actually working even in his rebellion 
And God would use whatever means to bring him to salvation. Can you do that? Can you look back in your life and say, I, there's no way I should be where I'm at? How did that happen? Because God, even in your rebellion or your lost, wherever you are, he's in control. And Paul got that. Paul even addresses that in, in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus. Listen to what Paul says about this God. In him, in God, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Or in that classic passage in Romans 8.28, the King James Version says it this way, and we know that all things work together, what? For good to them that love God. Paul knew that God was somehow and often mysteriously working in every situation in his life and in every season of his life. Who is the God that Paul worshipped? He is almighty God. He is in control of everything. This rich knowledge and awareness of God's character was not new to the New Testament. Again, if you're familiar with stories in the Old Testament, look no, no further than the life of Joseph in Genesis. This Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, accused falsely, separated from his family, wondering if he would ever see them again. What a messed up life, right? Yet at the restoration of his family, when, when his family was saved because of him, and he knew how God had used him to save not only his family, but the very people of God. What did Joseph say at the end of his life to his brothers who were apologizing for how they messed up his life? He said, you meant it for evil, right? But God intended it, meant it for good. My God is in control even of sin, even of messed up situations. My God will use anything and everything because he is controlling everything in life. Paul had such an awareness of this character of God. Friends, let's not gloss over that fact or take it for granted. I believe the men and women of God who grow in the knowledge and grace of God through Christ, those people also will have a growing confidence in the sovereign love of God. The God, the God that Paul served was one who not only created all things, but he controlled all things in creation. And Paul knew in his own mysterious way that this storm was no accident, but that the Lord of all creation somehow sent this storm. The author of Acts, which was Luke himself, who wrote the book of Acts, this, Luke was obviously, wasn't he? He was obviously aware of what was happening. He writes and records in detail the growing power of the storm and the growing fear that captured everyone on board. Look again at verses 13 and then 20. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along in Crete. But in verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, 
Luke records, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. (laughs) He knew what was happening. I often wonder how these two believers, you ever wonder about Luke and Paul were on the ship together? I often wonder what was it like for these guys, how they interacted during the chaos of this impending death. Now, I hope you, you see that this was just not a quiet kind of couple of waves that were bouncing them around. This was a, a massive tempest blowing waves across the, the bridge of the ship, breaking it up. Everyone knew we're going to die. What was it like for Paul and Luke when they were on the ship together? I wonder how they looked at each other or talked to each other. How did they connect and how did they encourage each other in the midst of this chaos? I, I can almost imagine, you know, they're making ones on this end of the ship, the O's on the other, and the thing's going crazy, and they're, everybody's going nuts. But you can see Paul and, and Luke looking at each other, almost smiling. They can't communicate. You can almost assume that they're saying to each other, hey, our God is still good. <laughs> God is still with us, right, Paul? And you have that smile of assurance that reminds us We're not alone. The Lord God is with us. Yet let us not stop with God's general sovereignty. Paul knew that his God was not only controlling the storm, but he was controlling even the details of the event. Everything. Did you see that? Everything from the cargo to the conversations. You know, it's amazing how minute details become even more important in the midst of a crisis, don't they? Things that you take for granted, a small thing. Have you ever talked to somebody in the world of business or even in ministry in terms of organizational problems that confront us? One of the phrases that's often used to describe the frustration, have you seen or heard this? The devil is in what? The devil is in the details. (laughs) The devil is, it's these small things that are messing up everything. The devil's in the details. I think the Apostle Paul said, I believe the Lord is in the details. That my God controls even the small things going on. Everything from trying to keep the ship afloat to when to eat, they were not fatalistic, desperate attempts, but all connecting dots of how the Lord would save these people To the point where he would say, not even a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. You talk about detail, you're not going to lose a hair. (laughs) Because my God is sovereign. He's in control of this. Paul knew the outcome, which made all the difference in the world, didn't it? But he also knew this, whether he lived or whether he died, he was the Lord's. And that would make a significant difference for him. So we see that that we see about Paul that his God, the character of his God, was that he knew God was sovereign. But now let's take a closer look, not only at the God he worshipped, but what was the result in Paul's life as a result of believing God was, was sovereign? And I would suggest to you that I think what immediately happens in life is that he had a growing confidence in life and in facing life because of the sovereignty of God Paul had a greater confidence in life yes Paul knew he was a prisoner didn't he he was a prisoner on this ship and these random group of people but he also knew not only am I a prisoner I'm a messenger yeah I'm confined but I've got something to say 
His chains would not restrict the gospel from going forth in his life and especially in the difficulties of life. There's a story of the great leader of the Methodist Church, John Wesley. John Wesley recounts in his diary how a similar incident on a ship and the witness of the Moravian Christians who were on the ship, how they were instrumental to his own conversion. Here's what happened. There was a raging storm on the ship and the sea that he was traveling to the Americas, to the colonies. And this ship was clearly threatened, and it looked again like everyone on board was going to perish. And he records that everyone on board and most of the English travelers were screaming in fear. He said everyone was aware that they're going to die, and they were crying out and screaming. But he said, I looked over at the Moravian believers. They were singing hymns with confidence in their God that whether they lived or died, they were the Lord's. That made a deep and powerful impression on John Wesley to the point that it it changed his life. As one commentator says about Paul's role on the ship, he says this, quote, Paul was not like Jonah, the cause of the storm, but he was the comforter in the storm. God clearly brought the storm to Jonah because of his disobedience. But the sovereign God brought this storm to Paul to be a witness. Paul's confidence and calmness in the midst of this great nor'easter, it would have an immediate and probably a lasting impact on everyone on board. And I would suggest that Paul's confidence came primarily from his ongoing habit of communion with the Lord. He he didn't talk to Jesus when he was in trouble, only when he was in trouble or distressed. His identity was so in Christ that it seemed second nature that he would talk with Jesus about everything, whether he was in in prison, in the synagogues, or in private. He had a habit of talking to his God. You know, I wonder if there really is a lesson for us here. Perhaps you and I should be more often talking with the Lord in the routines of life and not only in those chaotic moments where, oh, I really need you now, Lord. <laughs> Would you really show up now? Now, let's, let's get into the habit of having a second nature conversation with Jesus, believing he's with me in the calm as well as the chaos. I want you to notice that in addition that that Paul's personal confidence, look what happened. That personal confidence led to practical wisdom, didn't it? He he spoke to both the immediate physical as well as the spiritual need. He tells them of their need for nourishment. Did you see that in verse 33? He's saying, look, it's been 14 days, two weeks. They had not eaten for two weeks. They were that frightened and aware that they were going to die. But Paul says, look, you've got to eat to get some strength. Friends, sometimes our problems in life don't directly stem from a spiritual problem. A lack of care for our physical temple can often lead to other problems. Have you ever seen that in your life? We could preach a sermon on that, right? Taking care of your body and how it affects your own spirit. That's practical wisdom. But that practical wisdom led to godly hope. Did you see again in the conclusion of verse 36? 
they were all encouraged. How, Paul, how do you have, how can you be calm in the midst of this chaos and see it and, and try to speak into it? How can you do that, Paul? Because my God is sovereign and I can face anything knowing he is with me. Now take something to eat. And by the way, be encouraged. The Lord has reminded me, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Why, why would they want to keep on trying? Because Paul has given them godly, practical wisdom and practical hope. Isn't it amazing how contagious faith can be when you see it lived out in the midst of the, the storms of life that many people have to deal with? There's a dear saint that I knew in my early days of my ministry as a pastor. Her name was Barbara Black. She is now with the Lord. Praise God. But we connected well. I was a struggling young pastor trying to figure out life, and we were the same age. Barbara came from a very difficult relationship, and the Lord used that to convert her. Very gifted English major, journalist, and a poet. She was a sweet encouragement to me. But after, shortly after we met, she was diagnosed with MS. And for the next 10, 15 years, I watched that disease take my sister's life and just wretchedly, just angry to see what it did to her. And she couldn't function the way, and the, the cane and then the wheelchair and then bedridden for the rest of her life. And I would visit her, and I still remember the last time I visited her. She was on a breathing tube. She, she couldn't even breathe well because the muscles were failing. And I remember saying, Barb, functionally, what, what hope? What, what's going on in your life, and what are, you, what are you living for now? And she said, Jerry, I know I can't do anything. I can't move, and I can just about talk, and I could just about hear her. But she says, here's what I'm doing with, in the midst of this life and this situation, this storm. I'm praying for you. I can't write. I can't do anything else. But I'm praying for your church, and I'm praying for you, Jerry. Think, my God, I want that. I want that in the storm of life. To say, no matter what. Why was she like that? Because she had confidence. Even if she didn't get it and she didn't like it, her God was still good. And he was even using this for her to be used of God. Friends, it's a powerful thing. Look what Paul did. Why did these people be so impacted? Because he had something because of his character of God and his confidence in life. I hope you see, too, that the culmination of this story, it really is a foreshadowing of the work of Christ, isn't it, on our, on our behalf. Did you see what the centurion did? Did you see what he did? The ship ran aground. And the prisoners might have escaped, so the soldiers planned to kill them. Why? Because if they got free and it got back to the king, they would be killed. You better not let any of them escape. And what does this centurion do? Look what he says in verse 43. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. And he ordered those who could swim to jump. Then he goes on to to tell you what happened. Wishing to save Paul. I don't want Paul to be killed. I don't want anybody to be killed. Don't do it. They'll get to shore safely. One commentator explains it this way. Quote, as God saved all in the ship for Paul's sake, so here the centurion saves all the prisoners for his sake. The work of one 
leads to the salvation of many. Do you see that? The sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross would save countless ones who were lost not in the storms of life, but in the depth of sin, of guilt, of pride, and of rebellion. Jesus would pay it all to save many. In conclusion, there's a lot to be learned here. I hope you could see that it's a rich picture of life, raw, real life living in this world and the impact it makes. A lot of lessons to be learned from the life of Paul. Maybe it, maybe it is that sure foundation of the character of our God and his love for us in Christ. Or, or perhaps, perhaps it's the confidence you and I can have and we must have in his love to face all that we can and will face. But let me suggest something else in conclusion. Another way to reflect on this that I, I mentioned right at the beginning. What, what will people remember about your character along with your accomplishments? When you come to the end of your life, what will be said about how did you handle life? And, and more than that, what was your purpose or your focus of life? I think the answer is unashamedly simple yet profound. Another statement of Paul in Philippians. Listen to what Paul says. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. My life is about Jesus. No one else. If I live, I live for Jesus. If I die, I die for Jesus. He paid it all. The more you know and understand the depth of the love of Christ, for you personally, the more freely and confidently you will live in this world and thus even more having more of an impact than you even know. There's an old gospel hymn I remember as a young believer hearing. It still jumps out. It's in our hymnal. We'll sing it someday. I think it's in our hymnal. Only one life, so soon it shall pass. Only what's done for Christ will last only one chance to do his will so give to jesus all your days it's the only life that pays as you recall you have but one life oh friends don't wait for another storm but start today looking to the cross and the forgiving love that will never let you go and will never abandon you Amen. Let's pray together. Our good and gracious Father, the one who is in the midst of storms, who will even use those to bring about a further work in us, God, give us greater confidence in the sovereign love of God through his son Jesus. Give us greater confidence to live in this world for Jesus, knowing that you have planned it all, you have paid it all, and you will get glory through it all. Oh, God, do that work, and especially now as we come to this, your table, let us see what you've done for us and how good you are. And we ask in Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.